Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Daniel Hendrick experience. I'm super glad you're here today. Today, I've got a good friend of mine from San Diego, the world-famous bass, Mr. Louis Leibhertz. He is an amazing bass, ladies and gentlemen, and has literally sung all over the world in major opera houses. And I am super glad that he's with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm welcome to the great bass, Mr. Louis Leibhertz. My brother, welcome. Nice to be here. How nice are you? I'm fine. And, and where are you today? I'm sitting in the living room of my house in Cardiff by the Sea, California. Okay, and for those of you who don't know, Cardiff by the Sea, California, is just in the northern part of San Diego County. Yep. And uh, for many years there, after I retired from the opera scene, I sang at a restaurant there called Chichotis in Cardiff by the Sea. And that's when I first heard about uh, this incredible singer. Customers kept coming in telling me, have you heard about Louis? And I'm like, Louis who? And one day he finally came in and we met and we're kind of like soul brothers now. We have a lot in common. So. We're both and old. <laughs> right? Including that we had the same agent for a while, sure. Mr. John Miller, who was with uh, Lombardo Associates when I uh, first signed with him. Ah, oh, good old John Miller. <laughs> John Miller has been representing me since 1975. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. Okay. We in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And he's, uh, he's been there all the way through. He still has me on his roster, by the way. You never know if someone's going to need a 75-year-old, you know, bass. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. 75, you surprised me. I would thought you're not a day over 60, young fella. You're oh, looking yes. good. That's right. Well, you know, I've been working out, and they did this test on me, and at the end of it, it said, you know, your, your chronological age is 75, but your physical age is 73. <laughs> I said, well... Could have been 77, you know. Yeah, yeah you'll take it, right? Okay, yeah, exactly. exactly. Wow. Well, I have been to your, your beautiful home there yeah. in uh, Cardiff-by-the-Sea, and you have some paintings there or photos or the, of a ballerina there. That's your wife, I believe, right? The, the two on either side of my head were painted by my wife. She does a series of those. And, Excellent. Uh, I think they're acrylic. Mm -hmm. And then... The painting, the statue that's underneath the ladies dancing was done by my makeup artist at L.A. Opera, Becky wow. Kravitz, who's a wow. very well-known um, sculptor now, which mm -hmm. I, is really fun. And then the picture on the right over there, that is um, allegedly, my, my grandmother gave me this painting. It was St. Cecilia, though I've also heard that it's the Archangel Gabriel. So, <laughs> okay. I'll take either one. I'll take oh, either. Uh, hey, or or it could be Santa Lucia. Who yeah, knows? <laughs> <laughs> but she does have a wing. If you look closely, she has a wing. Okay. So. And for those of you who are just listening online and can't see these uh, photos and uh, paintings, they're they're gorgeous. One, I see the wing, and that looks like an angel. Yes. <laughs> and the ballerinas that your your wife or the dancer that your wife painted are, are gorgeous. So 
pleasure having you. And my brother, you were just mentioning a moment ago about L.A. Opera, and you told me a story a while back about Placido Domingo contacting you or wanting you to be oh, a part. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of, let me, let me even go back a little further, okay? Sure, absolutely. Because when I was going back to like 1975, when I was doing auditions in Los Angeles, the Met auditions, San Francisco auditions, I was interviewed one time and I said, you know, I would really like it if I could be end up being bass at the Los Angeles Opera for the people who have watched me grow up. Mm. So put that in your pocket. Then I went to New York, did my paid my four years dues there, came back to Carmel, California with my wife and we had two children and we went to Europe. We went first to Karlsruhe and then to Bern. And the second year that I was at Bern, or between them, I got an invitation. Um, I came home to see my parents in Los Angeles. And um, my uh, John Miller called up and said, Placido Domingo wants to hear you at LA Opera. I said, great. So I pulled myself together and went over there. And I sang, Il Lacerato Spirito, I think I said. Love that aria. Love okay. it. And, and he didn't ask for anything else. He said, thank you. So you know you never know what that means when they don't ask for another one. So I walked off the stage and Peter Hemmings, the director of the opera company, was standing there when I walked off the stage and said, Would you like to sing in my opera company? And I said, Well, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> and I was his bass for I was the bass there for eighteen years with um with Placido Domingo was was at first the artistic director and then later general director yes I, I sang there for the last time in 2004 and I, what was i doing nabucco nabucco and flying dutchman i did um Sakaria and nabucco and i did something in one of those crazy roles in the merry widow i never know what you're which okay and, and then and i sang Zakaria and nabucco and that was my swan song Wow, so, wonderful. And what, what would you say was like your your role, the role that you loved singing the most? You know, people often ask opera singers, as you know, what's your favorite opera? And my favorite, my answer is, you mean that I see or that I sing in or my favorite role? Yes. I would say when, when it's, what opera would I like to see? I would always say Bohème something by Puccini. If I was going to say what role, I would say my favorite role to sing was definitely Zaccaria and Nabucco. But my favorite role to sing and play, the, the whole dramatic thing, would be King Philip and Don Carlo. Ooh, what a role. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my gosh. Wow. I only did that role three times, but I did the Grand Inquisitor numerous times, you know, mm -hmm. many times in that. So... Either one of them is a good role. The Grand yes. Inquisitor buried. Uh, one, whenever I would do the Grand Inquisitor, I would just bury the king, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this, I actually have a, a recording. It's a, a video that's on YouTube of me in 1981 doing that, doing the Grand Inquisitor in Los Angeles with a, a bass by the name of um, Barsek Tumanian. Mm-hmm. He had come over from Armenia and paid somebody and was doing the king. 
And I was, and he was doing okay. And he goes, you know, he said, in dubio yo son. Oh, you know, like, and then I go, I opened it with his big old voice. And, and all of a sudden, when I stood up, because he was only about five feet ten, and he sunk down to about five feet four, and I stood up to about seven feet tall. <laughs> yes, I guess. There, you know, but he did, he did uh, keep in touch with me afterwards. Yeah. You know? Wow. How tall are you? Well, at my tallest, I was about six, five, six, six. Now I'm six, five, maybe six, okay. four. Yeah. I'm getting a new knee, by the way. Oh, congratulations. They say it makes you taller. <laughs> wow. That, that a boy. Yeah. Those tall bases. You know, I sang with Jerome Hines and uh, I was like, I was always at six foot three, the tallest guy on the stage until I sang with him. And I'm like, Lord, <laughs> the tallest bass I ever saw was Mati Salminen. Ah, okay. I covered him a couple of times. He was six seven or six eight, but he was as big as his voice was. His body was just as big. Wow! What a great singer he was, Mati Salminen. And Marty Talvola was a big man. Mm. You, know? you know, in Italy they say "tutti bassi sono alti." Okay. Right. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Are tall, right. Yes. Yes, it's true. It seems to be true. Yes. Except for Trey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jimmy Morse, too, was. Uh, oh, yeah, he's 6'3, 6'4. Yeah, he was. Yeah. First kill was only about 6'1. Yeah, there you go. Oh. Interesting. Well, you know, we talked before when I was at your house about your unusual kind of entrance into the opera world. And how you did a couple of auditions, and they asked you, how long have you been studying? You said, studying what, or something like that. I'll, I'll tell you that story if you want, because it's kind of a fun I, story. It's a great story, because it's unusual. I knew that I, I, I always knew I could sing, but I always went to boys' schools. Uh -huh. When I went to high school, when my voice was starting to blossom, didn't even have a choir. There wasn't a band or a choir in the school, you know. Obviously, I did very poorly in that school, so I had to go to a junior college. So uh -huh. I went to register at the junior college and wanted to meet girls. <laughs> well, truthfully, so I joined the choir. And I went to the choir director, and the choir director said, Son, where did you learn to sing like that? And I said, Sing like what? And he said, Well, <laughs> who do you study with? I said, You can study voice? And he said, You have no idea? And I said, no. He said, you're in for a big surprise. And by the time I was 23, I was supporting myself as a singer. And I stopped doing it when I was 60. So Amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Never had a job. <laughs> <laughs> Except in church. I, I used to work for the church quite a bit. The Catholic church. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you had like uh, sort of a, a, a mission or a philosophy about your music in the church that really kind of made it a lot more exciting for the parishioners. Well, when, when I was stopped singing, we moved first to Carmel and then the market collapsed in 2008. Mm -hmm. So I had done some fundraising concerts for St. Mary's College up in um, Moraga. And so... Um, my brother was a, a big donor there, 
And I said, ask them if they need, if they would hire me to do the artist in residence. And they said, okay. So I get a call. And sure enough, I got hired as the artist in residence at the school that didn't have a music department. I mean, they had music classes, you know. But anyway, so they, they asked, um, they asked me to start something, you know, as the artist in residence. So I started a thing called the Catholic Liturgical Arts Committee, CLAC. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, said, I said, the thing about it is that um, the, the motto was art as a way to God. And priests love that, you know. Mm. I said, if you pay more attention to the fine arts in the production of liturgy, and I'm not just talking about Catholics, I'm talking about Baptists and the Jews and everybody, you know, yes. the more we, that we, you know, refine the fine arts, the more people are inclined to come there because they're engaged by it rather than obliged to come. Yes. So that was my theory. And so I started doing conferences on it. And so anyway, in my second year there at St. Mary's, my wife started getting these terrible allergies. And St. Mary's is in Contra Costa County, which is a high allergy place, you know. Mm. So I said to them, I wasn't doing any teaching except for private students and stuff. So I said, what about if I go down to San Diego and see if I can find a church down there that will let me apply the things that we've been talking about? Excellent. Try it and see what you can do. So we started, this is good, this is good. We started, we went first to Carmel because it was close by to visit my mother-in-law. And I went down to this monastery where I had given voice lessons to the nuns. Wow. In the 70s, you know. And so I went down and I was talking to Mother Teresita. And I said, we're going to go down to San Diego and see if I can find a church that uh, needs help. And she said, we'll pray for that. I said, oh, okay. So I went down to San Diego, not telling anybody I was coming to San Diego. Mm -hmm. But I had a friend down there who worked for the diocese. <clears throat> so he took me to a couple of churches, the, the old uh, cathedral, St. Joseph's, and to a church called, I think it was St. Catherine's in Coronado. And both times they offered me a job. But then, and I was thinking about it, you know, but then my friend says, well, there's one other guy I want you to meet. So he took me to this other church, and it was this priest who had had a big drinking problem, but he was getting over it. And he was one of seven kids like I was. And from mm. a and he said, um, we're just talking, just talking, you know, uh, about ha having brothers and sisters and the whole thing. And all of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning, he goes, are you looking for a job? And I said, well, not right now, but... I was thinking next summer, I would like to find a church that needs these things I'm talking about. He said, I think this is the church. He says, I'll hire you. I said, okay. Wow. So that was it, right? And so we went back up to Carmel and I saw Mother Teresita and I said, you won't believe what happened. She said, what? I said, I was talking to this priest and I, just like I told you, I said, he stopped and he said, are you looking for a job? Anyway, I'm going to start work there next July, and you won't believe what the name of the church is. Now, remember, she's at the Carmelite Monastery. She closed her eyes for a moment, and she opened her eyes, and she said, It's Our Lady of Mount Carmel, isn't it? And I said, Yes. 
<laughs> and she said, we're not surprised. Wow. So and I stayed there for four it, years. Got in action, my friend. Four years. Four yes. years I was there. And Wonderful. when I got there, the budget was about a half a million. And when I left there, the budget was tripled. And they had built them a, a $21 million new church. And then my contract ran out at St. Mary's. So I decided that was enough. I was 65. So I said, that's enough. So <laughs> Yes. And that's, did. Wow, beautiful. Well, folks, I want you to hear a little bit of this beautiful singer here. So I'm going to play you just a, a couple of minutes. two teachers in LA that I had. The first one was an old Russian. And when I tell my students, yeah, I used to study with a man born in 1891. Mm. His name was Vladimir Viktorovich Shustrov. Wow. And he had gone to the conservatory at St. Petersburg on a scholarship from the Tsar. Wow. <laughs> and, and so... And is that where you first got that big open throat sound yeah. that you you yeah it's yeah. uh really so fluent and and a lot of times when people have that big of a voice and that open of a throat their voice isn't as flexible as your yours was you were really able to move it it was a gift i mean i it was i swear to god it, it was a gift but mr Schustroff made me take my first year of lessons sitting down okay didn't want me to push Okay. Yeah. In interesting. And we used to sing songs like My Desert is Calling. Dear come there with me. Those are the kind of songs that he had me sing. Wow. So a lot of the operetta kind of things. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. Uh, the old uh, Nelson Eddy stuff probably. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Jerome Kern and mm -hmm. uh, all these speaks, you know, all these mm -hmm. great names so my but the, my coach was a wonderful wonderful pianist you probably knew him did you know Jim Lowe did you yes know yes Lowe? I did Lowe, I worked with James Lowe for 11 years wow and okay I don't know if you knew this but his favorite composer was Brahms 
And so I did not. I started working on Brahms really early. And I must know about 30 Brahms songs, you know. I've done whole Brahms recitals, you know. I just love Brahms. Oh. That song that we did, Meine Liebest Grün wie der Fliederbusch, my love, my love is green like the Fliederbusch, which I don't remember what that kind of, willow bush, I think. Uh-huh. And, and as I said, and the, the he... The, and the bird comes in it, and the bird sings, and yauks it, shouts, and yauks it and sing it from Duftberausch, Für Liebes Trunkener Lieder, many drunken songs, you know. Wow. That's, what a great song that is. I'm glad you picked that one. So beautiful. So yeah. tell me, obviously, you had a gift from God, because when people heard you, they're like, how long have you been studying? And it was really your technique was God-given, but how, what made you start thinking about the opera thing? How did you transition into that? The same year that I, that I was in that choir, he asked me to be in the chamber singers, you know, the small group as well. And these were a little bit older singers, and they were all going to go audition for Starlight Opera, which used to be in San Diego. Yes, I remember so, that. So I went down and I auditioned for Starlight Opera, having never sung for anybody in my life. And they were doing Flower Drum Song, and they were doing South Pacific, and um, Kiss Me Kate, mm. and, and a production of uh, Tom Sawyer. So I went down there 17, I guess I was 17 years old, and I sang, um, you are beautiful, small and shy. And he said, thank you. And I said, <laughs> and I walked out and said, I don't know. You know, I guess, he, I guess I'm not ready. I got home the next night, the, fo the phone rang. They said, we want you to be in the chorus, but we also want you to be in the opera as a super and to hear all these singers. And I said, great. So I went, and that goes back to 1966 now. Because I okay. graduated the first opera was Faust with Norman Tregel. and oh my gosh! And I saw this opera and I went, "Oh my goodness!" Get this: the tenor canceled. Okay, at the okay. last before the dress rehearsal, so they brought in this young tenor from Mexico City, and it was Placido Domingo. Domingo. <laughs> so the first opera I was ever in was Placido Domingo and Norman Tregel. and I said. I can do that. And from that day on, I told people I was going to be an opera singer. Mm. Never taking a voice lesson. But it, I just knew it was it was so natural to me, you know. Wow. You know? And did you always have the top that you you have as a bass, or did you learn how to do that? Shustroff, you know, just taught that there is no top or bottom. There is no break, you know. The voice goes you know, yeah. you do yeah. that as well. Yeah, you know? Caruso said that. There is no such thing as a break. You create it. Well, Shustroff used to know P. Mario Marafiotti, who was Caruso's laryncologist. Okay. And he gave me a copy of Caruso's book called by, P. by Marafiotti, and it had a gold medallion on the cover of it, and uh -huh. it got burned up in a fire. Mm, I never wow. found the Italian, but um, you know, Mr. Shustrov's technique was very much based on, you know, singing. For like when I used to do auditions, when I first started studying with him, people would say, 
the voice has to be brighter, brighter, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I said, give it time. I'm 20, you know, I'm 19, 20, 21, 22. And then sure enough, you know, just the more I did it, the stronger it got, the more confident I got. Mm -hmm. and the problem with, with range, I was always pretty free up to probably an A flat. But <laughs> with the lower part of my voice, I have a, had a very clear low C, you know. I, I have heard, I've heard that in these recordings that usually a lot of basses get weaker on the bottom, but you maintain the intensity and the yeah, yeah. Integri integrity of the of the sound. You know that 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 second piece that I think you told me you were going to play, mm -hmm. Hear My Cry, which was written by a, a Chicago organist back in the 20s or 30s named Leo Sowerby. And um, one, of the, one of the professors at Chapman University, I was an artist in residence there for a while, said that they wanted to do, the Sowerby Society wanted to do a recording of all of his music and that he had written a lot of music for bass and baritone. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I wanted to record them. So I recorded all of them. And these are three songs that he wrote with his organ playing, but it was played by another person in Leo Sowerby's style. And they're just, oh, but I seem to, I know it go down to at least a, a low F on that one, you know. Amazing. Just, uh, well, oh since we're God. talking about that, let's play it. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Check this out.
pretty, they're pretty beautiful pieces, aren't they? Beautiful pieces, yeah. beautiful and very well sung. And there is an example of your the bottom of your voice not losing integrity yeah. and, and interest. It's so vital and vibrant on the bottom. I, I don't know where that came from. It's just something I always had, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm pointing, up, I'm pointing teacher, upward. <laughs> my first voice teacher. <laughs> exactly. He probably took me out of a chorus of cherubs and said, go to work. <laughs> and there you go. Wow. Beautiful. I sang in boys' choirs as a kid. Oh, did you? Excellent. Yeah. This is Hanley's boys' choir and then Dr. Thibodeau's boys' choir. Wow. So did you have a model, a base model, uh, as you were starting to get turned on to opera? You were like, that guy, Sippy. that's... Okay. Sippy. Okay. Sippy. Um, I got a story about that, too, because the first record that I bought when I went to Chapman, because I wanted to learn as much as I could, was Chesa Di Sieppi singing arias, right? Uh-huh. So when I was in... Um, Palermo, I was singing Bocanegra, Simon Bocanegra. Yes. A new production at the at the uh, Teatro Massimo. You know, it was this is a big deal, you know. It's my Italian debut. So the rehearsal period was pretty long. It was like three weeks, four weeks. And then the dress rehearsal, they said, okay, now you're not going to do the dress rehearsal or the premiere. And I said, why? Because this is Italy. And they want to hear an Italian. I said, well, who's going to do it? They said, Sieppi. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> Sieppi came into the dress rehearsal and the, and the premiere. And I got a chance to watch him and to work closely with him and talk to him and stuff. What a man. What mm. a man. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And an incredible instrument. Legendary instrument. Yeah. 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 Um, also, is... Jerome Hines. You know, you're, you're Jerome Hines. I yeah. knew Jerome Hines' voice. When I was at Chapman, he did a recital at um, the Angelus Temple, which was, oh, who was that crazy lady that, that, oh, not Mary Baker Eddy, but, oh, I can't remember, but, you know, she, she was this evangelist. Okay. In, in, in East L.A. And, um, so Jerome Hines did. So I went to it, you know, and I was listening to it. And then I saw they took an intermission. So I went around to the stage door and sure enough, he came out to breathe some air. And I introduced myself to him. Mm. And, and uh, he was very cordial and nice. I mean, he was working, so he didn't want to talk too much. But uh, I said, I'll see you. I'm going to come to New York eventually. And I did go to New York. And in 19... 79, I was um, covering the king in Aida. Mm. And Phil Booth was singing the king, but he was covering, um, uh, ro ro um, what's the king's name? In? I mean, what's the, the bass? Romphus. Okay. He was covering Romphus. And then, so... One time, Philip Booth couldn't be there, and so I got to do a performance with um, Jerome Hines. Wow. Which was, which was really amazing. And then it goes a little further that late, in, so I got in as a cover. Late in my career, 
when I was working in L.A. a lot, this would be about 97 or 98, I had some magic flutes to sing mm -hmm. in um, uh, New Orleans. Oh, but my God. It conflicted with something that I was doing in L.A. So John got me out of the contract. And then about four weeks later, he said, Lewis, I said, what? He said, I ran into Jerome Hines on the street today. I said, yeah, how is he? He's fine. You know what he told me? I said, what? He said that he just got a series of magic flutes in New Orleans. <laughs> so, so, but before you go on, that's right. There's even more to that that you probably don't even know. What's that? I, I was signed to sing Tamino in that magic flute. And Jerome calls me up and said, Daniel, Daniel, I wonder if you can do me a favor. He said, there is a tenor that is scheduled to sing Lachme with New Orleans, but there's no way he is going to be able to do that. Would you do me the favor and flip the roles and let him sing Tamino with me and you sing the Lachme? That was the worst decision I ever made. I should not have done it. But I tell you what, we, we might have sung together back then. Yeah, Exactly. How funny is that, though? Yeah. You know, uh, years ago, before I made my debut in New York, I wrote a song called Hear My Cry. And I dedicated it to Jerome Hines and did it in a concert in Manhattan. And he didn't know until that, the, the night of the performance. And, uh, you know, he was a wonderful composer as well. Yeah, so, I know he was. Yeah. And writer. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Great human being and great example of uh, walking walk your talk. And his wife was a very interesting woman too. Yes, yeah. She was, she was from Venezuela or someplace. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh my God! Very knowledgeable. Very well, those days. Very cool. So, where was your favorite opera house to sing in uh, around the world? Well, I think you know, as far as opera opera houses, my favorite would be Geneva. Okay. The Grand Théâtre Genève. And I, had, I mean, it was a, it's a nice opera house. It's like every old opera house. But the cantina, you know, all of the uh, European houses have cantinas, really fine restaurants. Yes. Everybody. Theirs was catered from the Hotel Richemont. And it, it was a three-star um, <clears throat> Michelin. It was a three-star Michelin restaurant used to cater it. So that I, it was really fun to know that that I could go to work and have a great meal, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. I think three or four times. And and how about acoustically? What was the best? That it, would probably be the, the uh, Teatro Municipal in um, Caracas. And who oh, knew that the acoustics were really the best there, but it was only seat about 800 people. Okay. So, and with your voice, it was oh, like a, a big bathroom for you. <laughs> I, sing, I sing there a lot. I sing about 10 or 12 operas there. Amazing. Caracas, oh. Venezuela. It's not the same. It's not the Caracas. And then the, the girl that I married, her father was the um, had been the ambassador to Venezuela during the Kennedy administration. Mm -hmm. And his my wife's mother and father had met in the same hotel that I was staying in. So amazing. Yeah. 
And speaking of family, you kind of redirected your career towards L.A. Opera uh, a bit so that you could stay with your family more. Is that right? Well, yeah, definitely. I, I was singing in Bern, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. and I had a pretty good year. You know, we did Somnambula. We did Magic Flute. We did Fidelio. We did a lot of big... We did Lohengrin. And, and then they wanted to... Um, well, it was, it was, I think it was Holender. The, the, was the agent had taken a shine to me. He had heard me there a lot and was ready to take me um, to Vienna and places like that and kind of get my career going. But I got that offer from LA and that's what I always wanted to do. And I have six brothers and sisters and my mother and father were in LA. One sister was in LA. Everybody mm. was in California. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law were in LA. It was a no-brainer, you know. Um, I I really wasn't looking to be a world-famous singer. I just wanted to sing, and I mm. did. And I sang a lot in L.A. You I'm sure did, here. yes. Did you know Jonathan Mack? Yes. Okay. Tenor, yeah. Jonathan Mack was, was a tenor in L.A. a lot at the opera. Yes. And we used to always get every concert in town. Mozart Requiem, Verdi Requiem, Lisa yes. Solis, anything. One time we were doing, I think it was the Messiah in um, Orange County, and the review in the um, Orange County Register said, Lebhurtz and Max sing together so often they should carpool. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Yeah, I mean, I sing. One time I sang a, um, a Mozart Requiem with the Pacific Chorale in Orange County, and three weeks later I sang the same piece with, with the Master Crawl of Orange County. I mean, you know. Amazing. Yeah, well, just, that's, that's unusual for an American to be able to stay in one city like that. Exactly right. My kids all went to one school, you know. They all came up through, well, that's not true, but we, they, we moved to Pacific Palisades when my oldest daughter was seventh. But she had started school in... Newport Beach, no, um, Laguna Beach, mm -hmm. we Laguna Beach, but our house burned down in Laguna Beach. Oh boy. In 1993, that a big wildfire. And then my wife was a dancer and, and a, a choreographer. She had a master's degree from NYU and had studied with, um, Oh, well, everybody. Somebody famous, yeah. Okay. Well, who, who's the most famous modern dancer of all times? Yes, I know who you're talking about, yes. and I can't, I can't grab the name. <laughs> NYU. So anyway, yes. my wife um, took from her. So after that, when the fire happened, Gila was working at Long Beach City College teaching a, a class, and she choreographed a dance about fire, this fire dance. Wow. People are dressed up as fire and other people come in and all of a sudden then they all crawl out as the fire goes out, you know, and it was very powerful. So this lady came down, this, they wrote an article about it in the LA Times and Gayla was on the Oprah Winfrey show and, you know, just things were Amazing. So, wow. So this lady came down from, from uh, UCLA and saw the dance and offered her uh, a fellowship if she would come up there and work in there for two years 
in the movement and dance therapy department. So she became a movement and dance therapist because of the fire. So that was our first fire. Our... Amazing. <laughs> My parents died in 2002 and we bought their house in LA. And, but my, my mother had already passed away, but my dad had passed away. He was a professor of gynecology. Well, I was buying the house from my family and it turned out that my dad had um, refinanced it and didn't quit claim it back to the trust. So it had oh. to go into a probate. Oh boy, okay. So while it was in the probate, I was paying principal interest taxes and insurance and we were living in that house. And we went up to Carmel on the 4th of July and we were coming down on July the 4th and my telephone rang. I had a car phone back then. It was 93. And it was the guy across the street. He said, your house is on fire. I said, you're kidding. <laughs> so sure enough, oh, that my. Around too. But the beauty of that is I was buying this house that was built in 1955, a nice house in West LA, mm -hmm. 815,000 wow. family. And I got to build a brand new house on the same footprint, but with my things. And we built it and sold it immediately for 1.6 million. And Good that job. Was, and that was when I said, that, you know, see, remember I said 2005 was when I quit LA. We also got this million and a half dollars. So said, it's time to go. Hasta la vista. Yeah. Yes. Was Amazing. It wasn't hard. So, if you had, and I know you do have students who are just like postgraduate, they're out of college and wanting to be opera singers, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, it's always been my answer to anyone who says, do you think I can have a career? My answer is no, not, not a chance. Mm -hmm. because they don't know they can have a career. Mm -hmm. You know, they're probably not going to have one. I agree with that. Yeah. It's destiny. It's destiny. You, mm -hmm. you don't ask people. You just charge into it and people just say, he's here. Look what happened when Bryn Turfel showed up, you know. It's like 35 years old. He was singing everything, you know. Right. So, um, ben Hepner was the same way, you know. I had, been, I had been on yesterday. I talked to him again yesterday. Oh, I don't know if he remembers me or not. We sang together. I'm sure he remembers me because we're the same size. <laughs> he probably weighs 400 pounds now. Actually, he doesn't. He's, he trimmed down quite a bit. So. Good, good for him. Yes. I have two. I'm down to 290. Good job. From 340 when I was, a, when I was working. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so basically you're saying if you don't know that you know that's what you're going to do, don't you're go for it. wasting your time. Yes. And I also think that this is my own theory about colleges that have music programs, and even more so today, that they'll have 40 or 50 vocal students, none of which, maybe one or two, have professional quality, right? Yes. They don't come that. They give them a degree. Now what do you do? You got a liberal arts degree, $60,000 in debt, and you're never going to make any money out of it. Yes. So a lot of them then go and get a master's degree, hoping that they can figure it out. And then the same thing happens again. You know, they get a master's degree, but they don't have the career. So then they get a doctorate. And then they teach in a college the same bad habits that kept them from having a career. 
Amen to that. Amen to that, yes. So I had years ago from my church a family whose son was a violin prodigy and had uh, scholarship offers to major universities, a free free ride. But he also was extremely smart and wanted to go and become a doctor. And there, they had this dilemma, so they brought him to me. Uh, we had dinner, and I asked him, so how would you feel if you became a doctor and you were just playing the violin in a local uh, orchestra on the weekends or something like that? He said, well, I guess I, that would be fun. I could handle that. And I said, then we don't need to ask any more questions. Exactly. And you know if, what? The, the doctor's symphonies, every city has a doctor's symphony. Yes. You would have been there. Yeah. Right. Well, there you go, right? So yeah. if you don't have that burning, knowingness, desire that you have to have it, you have to do it. Well, it's a confidence. It. It's a confidence, yes. too. Um, yes. That, that <clears throat> desire, unfortunately, isn't going to make it. You know, you also have to have been given. Well, the talent. Gift. Yes. You know, you've got to have the gift, you know. And then... Yes. What does it take to be an opera singer? People ask me that. I say about 50% of it, voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Then there's all these other things. There's the ability to learn languages. There's yes. the ability, to, you gotta be a good musician, excellent musician. You've gotta be able to speak foreign languages. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to travel and not get sick. You yes. know? You've got to be able to live on the road. Those are all just equal. Each one of those takes all of those things to have a career. And emotional intelligence, how to deal with other people. Oh my gosh, yes. My gosh, yes. That's a huge, huge part of it. So, you know, when I was 17 years old, the uh, guidance counselor from my high school called me in and said, so what are you going to do with your future? And I said, I'm going to be an opera singer. And she laughed at me said let's let's find something serious so being the smart ass that i was i said well you know the guy that goes and checks the meters for the gas he's outside all day and getting exercise maybe maybe i could do that she says there you go that's for you well that pissed me off so much i left school and my father who was a steel worker was home from his shift said what are you doing here and i told him what happened and my dad with that remember chuck connors from the rifleman with those that look in his eyes get in the car we go down to the high school and my father storms into her office who the hell do you think you are telling my son he's not going to be an opera singer if he says he's going to be an opera singer he's going to be a damn opera singer (laughs) there you go that's the knowingness that i'm talking about exactly exactly right and i was 17 too i told you when i that saw Trago, I said, oh, I'm going to be an opera singer. So I guess we've had kind of the same paths. So you have this to look forward to. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the encouragement. Well, my brother, it's been a blessing having you on today. It's always fun talking to you. And I love the fact that you still work at Chichotis and it's at the bottom of my hill. (laughs) I love that too. I'll be there at the end of uh, this month. So hope. I'll probably, we're probably we're talking about that. Yeah. It's always inspirational to talk to you. I'm very happy that you're doing this program and giving us, you know, old horse gentlemen 
an opportunity to tell exactly how it was. You know? Right. And it, it was, was it was marvelous and you were really a diamond in that opera world, singing beautifully with passion and love and God bless you for that, for sharing who you are and what you could do with the world. It, it blessed thank us you. all. Thank you very much for that. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here on another Daniel Hendrick experience every Sunday. I'm so glad you're here. And for those of you who want to know a little bit about my career and the struggles I went through with losing my voice, you can go to my website and pick up my book. It's called Know You Know, and the website will take you right to Amazon where you can pick it up. So until next Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being here. God bless you all, and goodbye. Take a breath.